Welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. We're going to continue our series entitled Easter Every Day. Today is the second Sunday of Easter, and historically Christians around the world would often look back to stories of resurrections, to stories of new life, days after Easter, to remind ourselves that God never intended for us to celebrate Easter just one time a year. God never created us just to worship Christ, our resurrected Savior, on Easter Sunday. That God created us to celebrate Easter every day. To have Easter lilies, the smell of Easter lilies on our noses every day. That God designed us to connect daily with the supernatural power of the resurrected Christ. Historically, Christians would often look at passages related to the resurrection of Jesus. The first, second, third, fourth Sunday after Easter. To remind ourselves of the great power of the resurrection. That God didn't create us to celebrate the resurrection on Easter alone. God created us to live as if every day is resurrection day. Paul said it this way to the Philippians. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and and the fellowship of sharing in his services. I want to know the power of the resurrection of Christ in my life on a daily basis. Basis. He says this to the Ephesians in a prayer in, in verse one. He said in verse nineteen. He says, "And his comparable great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the from the dead. That that's available to all of us who believe in the historical event that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave two thousand years ago. That great power is available to us who believe." See, God didn't create Easter just to be celebrated one day, but every day. That every day we can live as if it's Easter Sunday. Live as if every day is resurrection day. And as we seek to enter into this life of resurrection power, to live out the resurrection story, we've been looking at a few accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Last week we studied the passage of two travelers on the road to Emmaus and how God met them there so that we could enter into that resurrection experience. And this week we're going to read about the first person that saw the resurrected Jesus. Anybody know who that person is? The first person that saw Jesus alive. It's, it's not one of the disciples. And it's the only person mentioned in all four Gospels. Anybody know who that person might be? It's Mary Magdalene, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but Mary Magdalene. Now, this is a very big deal that a woman was the first person to see the resurrected Jesus because women were not honored like we honor women today on Mother's Day. Women in the ancient culture were often overlooked. Uh, they were often marginalized. They didn't have a voice in the court system. They were the, in, in a patriarchal male-dominated society. Women were overlooked. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to reveal himself to a woman named Mary. Mary Magdalene. Now, we don't know much about Mary's story. According to Luke chapter 8, she's described as a woman that had seven demons inside of her. Seven demons were cast out of her, and, and, and the seven is significant because it's kind of like mega or entirety, that, that her whole life was, was characterized by the demonic in and, and, and one of two ways. One, she could have been severely mentally ill or living a life of, of total immorality. But in either case, Mary Magdalene was an outcast. She was an outsider. She was less than a nobody. 
She, she was considered, her voice wasn't considered valued in the court of law. She was in the margins of society. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, chose Mary to be the first person to see him alive. The first person to announce Jesus resurrecting from the dead. See, this morning, this Mother's Day morning, we want to not only celebrate the story of Mary, we want to learn how she saw the resurrected Jesus so that somehow we today might see that resurrected power and presence in our lives today. So if you have your Bibles, love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look in both Matthew and John's gospel to understand Mary's story and to connect into her uh, her life and understand how she connected to the Savior. And in page 989 in your pew Bibles, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to look at the story of Matthew, and then we're going to st- jump into the story of John to see how Mary uh, met the resurrected Savior so that somehow we today might experience his power and presence in our lives. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath... At the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. See, Mary went to the tomb. And we know she wasn't just going there to take a look at the tomb. According to the Gospels of Luke and Mark, Mary, with a small group of women, went after the Sabbath to embalm the body of Jesus. She she took spices. She took oils to care for the body of Jesus. See, Mary, like most of the people during that time, did not believe that Jesus rose from the grave. She was not expecting the prophecy to be filled that Jesus would die and rise on the third day. Mary, on that Monday morning after the Sabbath, at Sunday morning after the Sabbath, she came down to do a job, to embalm the body of Jesus. See, Mary got up early in the morning to go to work. And I think that's so fascinating. She got up to go to work, to bring spices, to embalm the body of Jesus. It probably took hours to prepare. It was going to take hours to do. See, Mary, this early in the morning, went to do a job. She got up to go to work. And then something amazing happened, something absolutely uh, unexpected. Something totally amazing happened. Verse 2, there was this violent earthquake. Uh, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and then sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow, like spring in Minnesota. And, And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. There was this earthquake. There was this lightning, this violent earthquake. And a bright angel came down and rolled the stone away. It's not your typical work day. It's not what Mary was expecting to do on this day that she came to embalm the body of Jesus, where the earth moves and the lightning flashes and and the stone is rolled away. And then these guards, they're so afraid that they drop like dead men. They're paralyzed by their fear. These men with swords and spears that are supposed to be protecting people from the the tomb, they're so filled with fear that they're paralyzed. But the women are wide awake. The women are are not afraid. Verse 5 and 6, it says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. But he's not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. He says, don't be afraid. Don't don't be scared. I, I know this isn't what you expected on this day of work where you came to embalm the body of Jesus. But don't be afraid. Jesus is not afraid. 
here, the one you came to embalm has risen from the dead. You can go and see the place where he lay, but don't stay there too long because I want you to do something. I want you to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. Verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. What an awesome description. These women were afraid. They were scared. They had good reason to be afraid. I mean, angels and lightning and an earthquake. And, and they were afraid. In fact, fear is the, is the word most often used to describe the response to the resurrection. Mentioned six times in the four Gospels. People were afraid. They were afraid of what was happening. They were afraid. They were terrified. And the men... The men were paralyzed by the fear. They dropped dead at the sight and the sounds of the, of the experience. But the women, they, they weren't paralyzed with fear. They were energized by it. They were filled with joy. They were filled with excitement. The earth shook, the lightning flashed, the angels came. And although they were afraid, they were filled with joy because they saw God at work. See, the men were paralyzed, but the women were energized because they saw God at work. And so they ran. They didn't walk. They didn't talk. They didn't sit down and have a cup of tea. They ran. They were energized. They were filled with joy. They were filled with fear. They saw God at work and they ran to tell the disciples full of joy and full of fear. And according to the book of John, after they ran to the disciples, Mary not only ran to tell the disciples, but she also came back with the disciples to the empty tomb. In John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, we read the following. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon and Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, but we don't know where they have taken him. And then all of a sudden, there's this foot race. If you remember, Peter and John, they kind of run after. And John, the beloved disciple, he wins. But then Mary's not that far behind. She walks, she runs, she goes with the disciples back to the empty tomb. And in John 20, verse 10, we read this. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. See, Mary stayed there. The disciples left. Peter and John, they left. They went home. But Mary stayed. Mary wanted to see Jesus. Mary wanted to care for the one that she loved. Mary stayed. She was still crying. She was still confused. She thought somebody stole the body. She wasn't exactly sure what God was up to, but she wanted to care for the body of Jesus. She didn't understand exactly what was happening, but she stayed. And in verse 12... She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And when they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And they, and they had taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not recognize him. She saw Jesus. She was in the presence of the Messiah. 
Jesus rose from the grave and was right in front of her, but she didn't recognize Jesus. Then verse 15, woman, he said, why are you crying? And who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where where you have put him and I will get him. See, Mary still didn't believe. Mary was still stuck in that way of thinking that a man that died could not raise from the dead. Uh, Mary was still stuck that maybe somebody took the body. Mary did not yet believe in the resurrected Messiah. She's confused. She thinks Jesus is the gardener. She's in tears. And then Jesus speaks to her. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. He said, Mary. He didn't say woman. He didn't say woman with seven demons cast out of you. He didn't say old woman, young woman. He said, Mary. See, Jesus knew her name. Jesus knew her fears. Jesus knew her sins. Jesus knew the hairs on her head. And in the midst of this confusing, altering, unexpected time, he called her name. He said, Mary. And what I find fascinating about this little story here is that he didn't call the disciples' name. He didn't call out, hey, Peter, hey, John. He didn't call out to the disciples. In fact, the disciples, what did they do? They walked away. But Mary stayed at the tomb. It's almost as if Jesus was hanging out in that tomb, waiting for the disciples to leave just so that he could walk out and reveal himself to Mary. Mary. The outcast, Mary the outsider, Mary the woman on the fringe of society, Mary the woman that had seven demons cast out of her, Mary the one that no one would believe her voice, Mary. God revealed himself to Mary. This humble, broken, determined woman named Mary. And one of the many things that we can learn about Mary, one of the many things that God teaches us about Mary is that God reveals himself to the outsider. God loves the outcast. God cares for the broken, the humble, those on the fringe of society. And he knows your name. He knows your sin. He knows the hairs on your head that God loves everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your record. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your family. That God loves God cares for you. See, Jesus first reveals himself to a broken, humble, determined woman named Mary. And Mary responds, verse 16. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She cried out. Rabboni. Now, Rabboni means more than just teacher. It's more than just a sense of respect. It's like my, my teacher, my beloved teacher, the person that knows me, the person that healed me, my Rabboni. But she does more than just cry out Rabboni. Mary lunges. Mary runs and grasps Jesus. According to verse 17, Jesus said, don't hold on to me. For I have not yet returned to my father. Don't hold on to me too tightly, Mary. Apparently Mary grabbed Jesus or maybe fell at his feet face down in worship of Jesus. Uh, In describing her love, her affection for Jesus. Jesus says, hey, don't don't hold on to me. A a more literal translation of Jesus' words would have been, ouch. You know, don't hold on to me too tightly. 
I have not yet returned to my father. Jesus says to Mary, you know me, you love me, you see me as your Rabboni, your teacher, as your savior. You bow down and worship me. But instead of holding on to me, Mary, this is what I'd like you to do. I want you to go. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my father, to your father, to my God, and to your God. Jesus said, go. I want you to go, Mary. Jesus reveals himself to Mary and then sends Mary out as the first missionary describing the most important news ever recorded, that Jesus is alive. Instead of holding on to me, I want you to go and tell the disciples, go and tell the world that I'm alive. Verse 18, Mary obeys. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that she had these things. And she told them he had said these things to her. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the resurrected Messiah. I have worshipped Jesus. I experienced him. I recognized him. I saw him. I bowed down and worshipped the Messiah. He's alive. See, there are many things that we can learn from the life of Mary. There are many truths that we can learn from the life of Mary besides seeing this powerful love of God displayed on this humble, broken woman. Besides seeing this response of worship and awe of Jesus, there are two truths, I think, hidden in this passage that help us live out the resurrection every day of our lives. And the first truth, the first thing that we notice about Mary is that she met Jesus on her way to work. Did you notice that? On her way to work. She wasn't expecting Jesus to rise from the grave. She wasn't expecting to, to, to the, the fulfillment of prophecy. She went down there to get a job done. To, to, to embalm the body of Jesus. And she, they went down there to go to work. And I think that's so instructive to us today. Because so often we can dichotomize the sacred, the sacred from the secular. Worship from work. We can go to work, we can go to our job, we can go to our office and go to work. And then we go to church and we worship and we divide our lives from the sacred and the secular. But according to the life of Mary, we can worship God at work. That we can meet the resurrected Savior on our way to work. That work is this sacred space where we can see Jesus alive. That we can go and work for the glory of God. Do you remember that story of creation? That story of creation that we repeat here? That story of Jesus, I'm sorry, of God creating Adam and Eve. And then he sent them to do a job. To work, to care for the garden. To, to, to use these raw materials and make them better. And, and, and God called Adam to work and he, and, and he placed them in the garden. He says, I want you to care for my creation. I've called you, I've gifted you, I've, I've given you skills. Now take what I've given you and make it better. See, work is not simply a job. Work is not simply getting a paycheck. Work is not an occupation. Our work is our vocation. See, an occupation is a career. An occupation is a paycheck. An occupation is what we do. But a vocation is a calling from God. A vocation is, is participation in, in, in what God's doing in the world. 
A vocation is a sense that God's called me, God's gifted me, God's placed me to work as a teacher. God's placed me to work as a, as a business leader. God's called me and gifted me to work in the education or the sciences or to work as a mother caring for my children. A vocation says that God is at work in the world and I want to work for his glory, for my joy and the good of others. See, Mary met Jesus on her way to work. Last week, I introduced you to a woman by the name of Anne Voskamp. And Anne wrote the book, A Thousand Gifts, a New York bestseller. And in case you think Anne is just living in New York and living some sort of Ivy Tower experience, Anne actually is a farm girl. She works or she lives on a farm with her husband. Her husband's a pig farmer. And that's where Anne lives and uh, as a pig farmer. Uh, and, and Anne also has six children. And so she's doing laundry. She's changing diapers. She's doing bottles. And, and she homeschools these six children on her home on the pig farm where she lives. And she never graduated from college. Although she's a very gifted person, she never graduated from college. And yet in the midst of her busy life, she took time to write down things she, were, she was thankful for. And she put it in a book called A Thousand Gifts. And in writing down these things in her ordinary life, in her ordinary busy world, she experienced the resurrected Savior. She experienced God's presence, God's peace in her life. She, she went to work at home with her kids on the farm. And in that place, she experienced Jesus. See, that's where we can meet Jesus, on our way to work. My second observation is closely related to the first. And, and it's found in that first phrase in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. It's a phrase that we can overlook if we're not careful. It says this, after the Sabbath. After the Sabbath. After taking some time to reflect upon God as the creator of the universe. After taking some time to acknowledge God as the one who provides all my needs. After taking a break, after resting, Mary met Jesus. Mary went down to the tomb. See, this is very instructive to us. As we enter into our work week, as we enter into the work world, we are much better equipped to see the resurrected Jesus after we have rested. After we have reflected, after we have acknowledged God as the creator and sustainer of the world. See, see, keeping the Sabbath reminds us that my life is not my work. Keeping the Sabbath reminds us that my life, my identity, my worth, my value is not wrapped up in what I do, but in who I am and God's love for me, God's call on my life. See, I'm sure that Mary could have worked a lot on that Sabbath day. I'm sure that Mary had a lot to do to prepare the spices, to call her girlfriends, to gather the right people for, for the embalming. I'm sure she could have done a lot of work in preparation for the embalming of Jesus. But after the Sabbath, after she took a break, after she re reflected upon God as the creator and sustainer of the world, she met the resurrected Savior, see, keeping the Sabbath reminds us that my life is not my work, but God is my life. 
God is my source. God is my joy. God is at work in the world. And as we face surprises, as unexpected things, maybe not lightning, but maybe some challenges enter into our lives, we're much better equipped to see God at work in the surprises that we face because we've rested. We've reflected upon God as our creator, as God as our provider. After taking a Sabbath, Mary met the resurrected Savior. See, last week we learned that in order to experience, in order to live out the resurrection, we need to eat a meal. We need to break bread, give thanks, and, and eat together as families and friends and acknowledge Christ at work in our lives. And I hope you're doing that. I hope you're writing down a thousand things you are thankful for to incorporate that thanksgiving so that you can live out the resurrection. But this week we learned that in order to live out the resurrection, we need to take a break. We need to spend some time reflecting upon God as the creator, the sustainer, the provider of our needs. Because after the Sabbath, after working six days, she took a break and that enabled her to see the resurrected Jesus. Because at work, we're so quick to get a job done. We're so quick to just manage our stuff and we see people as a way to get to an end. And, 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 our, and our relationships are reduced and, and to forms of function and we can find our significance in what we do. And the Sabbath provides this perspective that my work is not my life. God is my life. The Sabbath provides a rhythm, a pattern to acknowledge that God is alive, a way for us. The Sabbath provides this way for us to live as if every day is Easter, as if every day is resurrection day. See, Mary's a wonderful person for us to consider on this Mother's Day. Mary's a wonderful person for us to consider on this Mother's Day because Mary worked hard. I mean, she was up early. She, she got the spices. She got a girlfriend. She went down to embalm the body of Jesus. Mary is a hard worker, yet Mary also learned how to rest. She learned this rhythm of life to take the Sabbath, to acknowledge God. She, 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 in the midst of her busy life, she took a break, and in that enabled her to see Jesus. But most importantly, the most important thing we can learn from the life of Mary is she heard the voice of Jesus. Call her name. Mary. She heard God call her name and she fell down, face down and worshiped Jesus, the Messiah, the resurrected Savior. She grasped, grasped his feet. She bowed down and worshiped. See, we can learn much from the life of Mary, but the most important thing we can learn is that God loves the outcast. God loves the broken. God loves the humble. God loves the ones that don't have it all put together. God loves the demon possessed. He loves the mentally ill. He cares for those on the fringe and he knows our name. I don't know if you ever heard God say your name, but, but, it, but it's so transformational and it transformed Mary's life. It's Mary. Mary, I know you. Mary, I love you. Mary, I know what you're afraid of. Mary, I know your sins. Mary, I know the hairs on your head. And I love you. And I want to reveal myself to you as your Messiah. See, that's what we celebrate in the life of Mary. This woman that saw the resurrected Jesus. This morning, we took photos of families seeking to honor our mothers. And a photo is a wonderful picture of what life is like today. 
But my question to you this morning is, what would life be like for you tomorrow or next month if you lived as if every day is resurrection day? If you lived as aware of the power and presence of the resurrected Jesus in your life, how would that change you? As you face surprises in your work or in your family or in in your world, how would the presence and power of the resurrected change how you live? What picture comes to your mind as you think about living in the presence and the power of the resurrected Jesus? Because that's what Mary did. Mary saw Jesus. She heard him call his name and she bowed down and worshiped him. And he knows our names. He knows our fears. He knows our sins. And he welcomes us into his presence. And he enables us to do exactly what Mary did. See, Mary, he didn't just say, Mary, I love you. He says, Mary, I'm inviting you into center stage. I want you to be the first person to tell the world that Jesus is alive. And that's what we get. Jesus invites each one of us to tell the world that Jesus is alive, that he is risen, that he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the example of Mary. I thank you for calling her, for revealing yourself to her, for loving her so clearly. And then inviting her to be the first missionary, sending her out to go and tell the world that Jesus is alive. You are an amazing God. You are doing an amazing work in our world. And Lord, I pray that as we go to work, as we go home, as we go into the world, may we have that sense of your resurrection power in our lives. So we can do as Mary did. Love you and love others. So so we can declare like Mary did that Jesus is alive so that we can bring that resurrection power in the surprises at work and the surprises at home and the crises that enter our lives all the time. That we can have that sense of peace, that sense of power, Christ's resurrection. Not just one day, but every day. Every minute of every day. That's my prayer for us as your people. And I pray that you would do what only you can do and that you would change us. For your glory, for our joy and for the sake of your world. Amen.